Welcome to The Music and the Dance. This is a podcast about God and the gospel and our everyday lives. I'm Larry Kirk. I'm your host. Today, I'm continuing an interview with Professor Mike Glodo from Reformed Theological Seminary in Oviedo, Florida. Mike is the professor of practical theology there. He also teaches other courses. But today, we're continuing an interview that we began earlier about preachers and preaching and young people entering into uh, what is often called vocational ministry. And we're also going to talk, and in fact, we are going to begin the conversation talking about some of the moral failures, the, the ministry and moral failures that we've seen in recent times, some of them with some of our former students, others just with well-known leaders in the Christian community. So we're going to dig right in. That's the question that I'm asking him as we continue our conversation. Okay. Well, this is not, um, you know, not necessarily the most pleasant thing to talk about, but it's an important thing to talk about. You mentioned earlier when I asked you about preaching the importance of character. And I don't know that there's a direct connection, but it is a connection. What I mean by that is even men of good character, women of good character, can have significant moral and spiritual failures. But I did want to ask you, as someone who's very involved in the larger body of Christ in Central Florida, if not beyond, just your thoughts on these recent Failures. Now, when I say recent, actually, I sit here across from this table and look at you, Mike, and I think back 10 years to some of the people we've known, some mm -hmm. of the people that have been students here at the mm -hmm. seminary mm -hmm. that we've seen with such promising, capable uh, beginnings of their ministry, but also some of the people locally that have been well-known pastors of, of the kinds of churches that a lot of pastors would think, if you know, if only you know, I could be in that place. And then we've got these national figures recently, whether it goes back to Bill Hybels or Ravi Zacharias or this, you know, it's not really in our circles, but the Hillsong pastor um, that was very well known had a large following amongst many celebrities that have fallen. To just share some of your thoughts on that. It's good that you distinguish between like solid people who, through the stresses of ministry, through uh, allowing pride to grow, through external factors, and you know they 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 err and they stumble and, and to varying degrees, and they uh, they disqualify themselves from ministry or perhaps they might be requalified at some point but yeah as opposed to the person with the kind of pathological fault line that in hindsight was there all along but it just opened up like a sinkhole and that's one of the analogies i use and mm, that's and, a good one and i i, I mentioned um King Saul earlier that ep that passage in First Samuel fifteen where he's supposed to utterly defeat the Amalekites, but he he saves the king and he spares some of the sheep and the oxen. That and line. What is this bleeding of the, the sheep, sheep that, that I, I hear. hear? It's just such such an ironic because the the word the, the the debate between Samuel and Saul is: Have you listened to the voice of the Lord? 
but the word for bleating and lowing of sheep and oxen is the same word. So, oh, so it's like Saul, uh, Saul is saying, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. And Samuel says, what's the voice of the sheep and the oxen I hear? And in fact, Saul had earlier pointed to the sheep and the oxen as evidence of his loyalty because he was going to offer them as a sacrifice to the Lord. So here, here's, a, here's a, an, an irony in this, that the, th- the very thing that Saul pointed to to show he was uh, being faithful was the very thing that indicted him. Mm-hmm. His greatest success was evidence of his failure. Wow. And isn't that essentially the, the dynamics of idolatry? Yeah. Where a guy can point to the money or the success or the reputation or all these things and say, but look what I've done. And God says, exactly. Uh, so, but. Wow. When, Sam, when Saul was called to be king, the people said, give us a king like the nations. And a lot of people think, oh, the mistake of Israel was to want a king. That was not Israel's mistake, right? Because Deuteronomy 15 says, when you choose for yourselves a king, <laughs> do not choose for yourselves a king like the nations, but instead, and it talks about being faithful to God's law. So the point there in uh, in 1 Samuel 11, when, when Israel said, we want a king, the, the, the sin wasn't that they wanted a king, but that they wanted a king like the nations. And so when Saul is brought forward, well, first of all, they can't find him when it's time to you know, anoint him because it says he's hiding among the baggage. But he's described as head and shoulders above everybody. He's like uh, uh, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. He's, he's like um, John Cena. I mean, is that his name? I don't know. Anyway, he's like you know, he's a big guy. robust, yeah. powerful, impressive, handsome, presumably. And so... The the people say because the king reflects what we want to think about ourselves. Right, that's the guy we want king, and so, of course, later when David is chosen, you know, Jesse leaves him at home for one right, thing. Right, right. He seems inconsequential, and he's described as an inconsequential appearing person. But his qualification is he's a man of God's own heart. But in that episode with Saul and Samuel, when the confrontation finally boils over. Samuel says to Saul, though you were little in your own eyes, God made you the head of his people. So Saul was what I call a hollow man. Mm. And like our sinkholes here in Florida. Right. I don't know if you, 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 you weren't down here yet, but we have the famous Winter Park sinkhole back in something like 1980 or something where a certain number of Jaguars and Jaguars and Porsches and Mercedes wow. Benzes were fi- It was a luxury car dealership. <laughs> there, there were these aerial photos. You could Google it and see it online. But, I mean, up until that point, everything looked fine. Yeah. And then all of a sudden one day, this void opened up enough that it just collapsed. And so there is a type of person yeah. who is outwardly impressive and can accomplish huge things. And... and- create huge ripples and impacts and even a lot of the stuff they do is not bad it's good stuff right. it's not bad stuff but there is a def- there's a deficiency an inner deficiency yeah that's a path almost pathological and do you think sometimes well 
I don't have to ask you this question because I think you'll agree with me. It seems like sometimes even the elders of a church are seeing the results that the person is getting, the praise that they have, the admiration that they have, the money that they're raising, the people that are coming to the church. And so they overlook all of the signs of the hollowness. It's uh, and maybe, enable and become enablers instead maybe of a, maybe athletics has some some a good metaphor here. When you keep sending the player back in the game, even though right they're concussed or yeah, yeah. their body is breaking down, yeah. but or the boxer who uh, keeps keeps standing up for the count, right? And there are too many stakeholders. And we actually we use this expression about the financial crisis, like too big to fail, right? Right. And so, I know of one situation, which is probably one you, in your mind, where the staff that were around the pastor knew all the stuff right. that he was struggling with, and all the sinful ways in which he was coping with his own struggles, but. He, they were too big to fail, and he was still performing on the weekends. He was still like a like a trick pony. Yeah, and uh, when the moral failure broke, it was followed by a psychological breakdown, and ultimately, uh, yeah, uh, a, 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 a tragic, tragic ending. So, uh, yeah, there, people people who enable. In any context, share some degree of culpability. Right. And Yeah, it's hard, I think. Um, and nobody wants to be yeah, – well, it's draining. I know for me as a pastor, sometimes I feel like I have to confront an issue in someone's life. I, I don't ever enjoy doing that. It's draining. You spend so much time thinking about it ahead of time, and how am I going to do it, and what's the right way, and should I really do it, and if I do it, how do I pull it off in the correct way so it's with wisdom, and there's the greatest chance that it might be heard, and then you second-guess yourself afterwards, and you spend time praying with it, and so it's just real easy to not do those things, and yet it's so much a part of the body of Christ. It's what we're called to do. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. Admonish one another. Um, and you know, the, the irony is, if we would do it, if we could get comfortable with doing it without waiting for it to get too big, you know, you know what I mean? I mean yeah. It wouldn't have to be these major confrontational corrections. It could be like, uh, you know... It, it reminds addressing me, it early, yeah. It, it reminds me. So I, I just read this uh, last weekend when John Calvin was uh, carrying out his great program of reform in Geneva. I, I read where there are all these different pastors in Greater Geneva, and they were all preaching in all the different churches at any given time. So you could you could go to Saint Pierre's Church on a Sunday morning, and Calvin might not be preaching. And it made me think of, I went to a church, uh, All Souls Church, Langham Place in London. This was 15 years ago. And uh, my children were young, but I said, we're going to go to this church. Now, you'll never know who this person is, but I just want to tell you, the pastor of this church over the years is one of the greatest preachers and theologians and so forth. But I know you're too young, but at least you'll be able to say you were at this church. So we we walk in and sat down, and it just happened to be the Sunday on which 84-year-old John Stott was preaching. 
But over the years, John Stott was never an, no preacher was announced. Right. You came to the church to worship and to hear the word of God. And if it happened to be John Stott, if it happened to be one of his associates, it, but they did not want to breed a culture of cult of personality. Yeah. An, another, I mean, a, a story that I was somewhat. Well, it's pretty close to me, as you can tell from when I when I say what happened. One of my students uh, years ago was spectacularly gifted and uh, sure to make a mark. Uh, but I noticed uh, a certain uh, – uh, I don't know exactly how I would describe it. I'll just – be nonspecific with what I noticed, but I, I said to him the year he was ordained, and I said it in front of his wife with her sitting at the table with us, I said, you really need to be careful. You are going to be vulnerable to failure if you don't self-check and if you don't make sure that uh, you take heed lest you fall. Hmm. Well, uh this particular person became one of the major failure stories. But I noticed over the years, I mean, he took that advice to heart. That was a back when he respected me. He sought my counsel on things. But I noticed over the years that he less and less frequently sought me out mm-hmm. or engaged me. And by the time everything blew up for him, we hadn't been in communication for a few years and I suspect that he tended to seek counsel and seek the fellowship of people who would reinforce his direction rather than people who would challenge it. And that's exactly what we were talking about, about congregations. Yeah. No longer looking for someone to shape me, but someone to affirm me. Yeah, And that's the hollowness where if – so you, you need to have, depending on your church structure, if you have elders like you do, the elders have to be in there insisting on not just accountability but collegiality. Right. And so many churches, because they're so dependent upon the charisma and the success of the senior leadership, I compare them to college football programs. As long as Auburn's beaten Alabama, or as long as Alabama's beaten Auburn, man, the alumni are on board. Right. But lose a couple of years in a row, and things change quickly, right? So people don't get in your business, and it's the corporate CEO is kind of the same thing. People don't get in your business as long as there's success. But then, uh, and there's, so there's no ongoing continual accountability until there's a problem. But, and then it's, it's too late. So... Um, Elders, if you're listening, elders of churches, don't let your pastors get by with isolating themselves yeah. or even just having just their own yes men kind of around right. them. And, you know, stick your nose in there and do it in love. Yeah. And and um, and if, if it doesn't work, it's on them. It's not on right. you. But, but, but for the church member, too, you know, it's ironic – to go to a church and to be able to see the pastor better on a screen than in person. And I, I don't want to make any kind of absolute blanket judgment right, here. Right. But it's like Israel choosing Saul. He, he, he reflects an image of me that I like to think of myself as. Right, right. But I don't really know him. Right. 
And I don't really know people who know him. I might know people who know people who know him. But when you start getting these circles where there's a certain distance from a person, if they're not clearly pursuing the, their character and that kind of whole realm of issues, uh, you have no idea whether that person is a trustworthy person, a, a faithful right. good shepherd. Right. So, so uh, there are ways of mitigating that. And good churches do mitigate that. But I do think um, some of these big failures, the people have gotten exactly what they asked for. Yeah. Just like Israel got Saul. Right. Maybe the final thing that I would just share with you is a kind of a shared gratitude that I know you share with me that you mentioned in the very beginning, that being here, you get to see these committed, devoted, hopeful, capable um, men and, and women, women in some of the programs and you know, women in all of the programs, but I mean, it is a majority men. Um, and it is, like you said, it's not just a human thing. I mean, you look at our culture today and the forces at work, and where do these people come from? Where do they come from where they've got these wonderful, um, you know, they, this is a graduate school, so they've all got many of them really good degrees. Many of them have been successful. They have all the skills to be successful in a world that's constantly telling them that's, that the church, if anything, is not, you know, whatever the former idea of the parson as a man of, <laughs> of some respect, that's gone. And yet here they are saying, I'm going to give three years of my life the average, you know, it doesn't always work out that way. Some of these guys are spending much longer than that. I'm going to travel. I'm going to move. I'm going to spend a ton of money. I'm going to devote my blood, sweat, and tears. I'm going to learn Hebrew. I'm going to learn Greek. I'm going to learn how to preach. I'm going to take the criticism, and I'm going to do this so I can share the gospel. And I'm going to go serve some congregation of sheep. (laughs) I'm going to go pastor some church where I'm going to be criticized. I'm not going to be able to please everybody all the time. And I'm going to feel the responsibility to lead that, a flock. That's, that's a, it's amazing. It is. It's a joy, and it's a joy to share that yeah. joy with you. Yeah. And, and probably a, a, a good way to cap that for your listeners is to think about the words of Hebrews about encouraging leaders. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, there are people who have dangerous jobs, get shot at. Right, you know, right. There's dangerous equipment. There are all kinds of occupational hazards. and right. And pastors don't bear that kind right. of occupational risk for the most part but there's a unique set of of uh, occupational hazards and the writer of Hebrews you know has two words on that one you know it's it's not to our account unless our leaders are joyful hmm. and our our job as church members is not to please our past that's not what it's saying but when our leaders don't find joy in their work and they're doing the work the best they can with the best motives they can conjure up by the grace of God. And 
we make the work onerous because of being demanding, of being hard to please, by being picky, by bringing our political or whatever issues in to to burden our leaders. Uh, We have a a, a word of exhortation there uh, uh, from the writer of Hebrews that it's to our credit when our leaders serve with joy. You're a joyful guy, so... Uh, a Christ community must be doing a good job, but, <laughs> but um, that—that's—that's that's how we can encourage these these right. these young people as they as they go into ministry and serve by yeah. trying trying to make them joyful yeah. leaders to the best of that's, our ability. That's a great word, and you know, it's something in in seasons of struggle. I've often told myself, and you know, who knows what. How my life is going to unfold in the many decades I still have before me, but you know I tend to think, okay, I'm 67, in three years I'll be 70. I'm probably looking to make some kind of a shift, but I still want to serve the Lord, and I sometimes wonder maybe I could help some other pastor somewhere. But I've often said to Connie, I want to be a really good follower for some other guy mm, someday, mm. somebody who's like there saying, "What do you need me to do? How can I help?" And I see you. I see what you're doing. I know the the responsibility that you bear. I'm praying for you. I'm supporting you. I just would throw me to have to that be role. like an Aaron or yeah, her, yeah, yeah, holding or, up Moses. Right. Arms. Or I was reading. I'm going back next week. We're kicking off our men's group. I'm going to do two messages to our men's group from Philippians on biblical manhood. And the two profiles I'm going to do are Timothy and Epaphroditus, as Paul describes them, because he says of Timothy, I have no one like him who is genuinely concerned for your welfare. Mm. Which is amazing, you know, also because sometimes people say um, of leaders, where's your, like, retinue of, of disciples who are all, you know... Well, here's Paul at well, at least one stage in his life. He had one guy that he thought he could commend, you know. And so that's – and it also ties into our beloved friend Bruce Waltke's mm. observation from Proverbs that the, the in Proverbs, the righteous man – do you know how he says it? Yes, that? yes. The righteous man is the one who disadvantages himself to advantage his community. And then the second character is Epaphroditus, and Paul says of him – Hold men like him in high regard. Mm. So these two guys, I'm, I'm looking forward to digging into. Uh, there's enough material around each of those statements that I think I can develop, you know, some some rich ideas about. Biblical manhood isn't about, you know, I'm going to be like asserting myself. It's actually taking responsibility for others. And with Epaphroditus, it's a willingness to suffer for the sake of a cause. So... Yeah, different than our the heroes that we typically right. try to choose. Yeah, all right. We should have pastor baseball cards. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey everyone, thanks for listening today and being a part of this podcast. As I tell you, pretty much every week, if you have anything that you want to communicate with me or with us, please just email me. The easiest way to do that is to email at this address, ccc at cccdaytona.org. And just write the word podcast in the subject line, and I'll know that it's about the music and the dance and get back to you. Thanks for listening.